news, information, and talk for the Fox Valley. The big one, AM 1280 WBIG, Aurora, Naperville. God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. Jesus Christ, He is the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ, He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. He is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when He lived and walked among people. And He makes a difference today because He was raised from the dead and He is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today, that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you, it knows no bounds. Today we have a very exciting program. We'll hear some wonderful music. We'll read some of the Bible together regarding the topic. Are we living in the book of Revelation or what is sometimes called the end of times? We will answer that question. And in the second half hour, our guest interview is with a wonderful woman of God and minister of God's Word who has studied the Aramaic language for over 35 years and she is the author of the Aramaic Peshitta New Testament translation. That's Jan Majera. Let's start off with this song by Dunamis, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Oh 
This morning, we're going to answer the question, are we living in the book of Revelation? Today, the Christian church, for the most part, have lost the great joy and anticipation of looking to the hope of the Lord's return according to God's timetable. Some have us living in the book of Revelation today where the wrath of God is poured out upon those that have rejected God. Others are not even aware that the Lord is going to return and hold to the belief that when one dies is when he or she enters into the presence of the Lord. It is in God's word that's where we're going to look. That is what makes known God's will. That is where we see the truth regarding the end of times and the events surrounding that period. Let's begin in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. It says that in the dispensation, and that word dispensation is Uh, better translated administration that in the administration of the fullness of times he God might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him God's timetable is the administration of the fullness of times that is the moment the Lord Jesus Christ will return the Amplified Bible translates the fullness of times as the climax of the ages. At the climax of the ages, God will call his children to meet the Lord in the air. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns this first time, he will remain in the clouds and we will be lifted off the earth in our new body to meet him in the air. What a glorious time of rejoicing. What a wonderful inheritance we have. Let's, if you have your Bible handy, uh, let's go over to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read several verses here. And here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to receive a much clearer understanding of the timetable of the Lord's return for his people, and also to see the time frame within which we live. We'll start here in verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. In verse 1, it says, The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is his personal presence. It's the moment that we will see him face to face. It's the instant 
when the dead in Christ are raised, and we which are alive are joined together and meet him in the air. It is this great hope of the Lord's return that gives us the patience to endure the tribulations and pressures of this life. The Thessalonian church, well, they needed the reassurance of the Lord's return. And you know, sometimes we do too. That's part of the reason of this great epistle of 2 Thessalonians as to why it was written. Let's read verse 2 again. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. The Apostle Paul wrote here, he says, That you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, which literally is, don't be frightened from any source, whether that source be spirit, word, or letter, that the day of the Lord has set in or begun. The Thessalonian church, well, they were a tremendous example of speaking and living God's word. They were also under extreme pressure and persecution. And that pressure and persecution was to try to get them to give up and not to stand for the one true God. Paul, in this epistle, he lovingly beseeched them by the return of Jesus Christ. In other words, he said, It's all worth it. Walk in love and boldly speak and stand on the truth. Don't be frightened by what anyone may say regarding that the day of the Lord has already set in or already begun. Well, we need to ask the question then, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord, that is the judgments of God as detailed in the book of Revelation. Here the Thessalonian believers are told to not be frightened, to not be troubled, that that day has already begun. The church of the body of Christ to which you and I belong to today will never face the judgments of God as detailed in the book of Revelation. It just won't happen. We've been judged in the life and death of Jesus Christ. If not, if we have not been judged in Jesus Christ, then he died in vain. He wasted his life. And I don't think that any of us believe that. How often today we hear preachers and ministers and writers proclaim that we are living in the time of God's judgment, the book of Revelation. That's exactly what the Thessalonian believers were told by some, and they became afraid that that was true. Many of God's people today are fearful that they must endure the wrath of God, which God will show upon an unrepentant world. There's certainly no comfort in that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where the return of Jesus Christ is detailed, well, that's where we're told to comfort one another with the words regarding his return. There is a great comfort and peace and a great rest in knowing that you're loved by God the Father and that before the great judgment of the age, you will be gathered together with Christ and seated in the heavenlies. We cannot confuse the judgment of God in the book of Revelation with today's persecution. And there surely is persecution today. But we cannot confuse the judgment of God in the book of Revelation with today's persecution. The Thessalonian believers, they were persecuted by the unbelievers in the first century church. Today, God's people are persecuted by an unbelieving world. The persecution that comes from unbelievers 
is not God's wrath poured out upon someone's life. God the Father loves his children. Never in a million years would God utilize the devil and the devil's minions to bring hardship upon those whom he has redeemed through Jesus Christ. To even consider that would indicate a lack of understanding of how loving and gracious and kind our Heavenly Father is. So let's ask another question then. How can we know that the day of the Lord has not yet begun? As we read here in the context, it's going to be very clear to us. Verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, what day? The day of the Lord, shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The key in understanding are the words, except there come a falling away first. The King James translation and, and many modern translations as well as commentaries have handled these words to infer that there will be a departure of Christians from believing God's word. They sometimes refer to it or call it as the great apostasy or a departure from the faith. In the Greek, it literally means a separation away from or a departure from the modern interpretation today has implied that it was God's people departing from God. That's just not so. It is the departing of God's people from this world at the time of the gathering together when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and we meet him in the air, as detailed in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Also, it is translated properly as a departure in the Geneva Bible, the Cranmer Bible, and the Tyndale Bible. Let's read verse 3 again. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. What day? The day of the Lord, the judgments of God in the book of Revelation, shall not come except there come a falling away first. What is that falling away first? It's a departure of God's saints from the earth at the time of the return of Jesus Christ. Continuing in that verse, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There is another tremendous key to the understanding of this verse. The man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the man of sin and lawlessness. The man of perdition is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a man that is literally controlled by the devil. That man of lawlessness will rule the world with an evil heart, as detailed in the Word of God. He has not yet stepped into his position of rebellion and authority. The day of the Lord, the book of Revelation, does not begin until there is a departure of God's saints from the earth at the return of Jesus Christ, and then then will the man of lawlessness be revealed, and not until then. On the truth that that man has not yet been revealed and is not yet ruling this world indicates that we are not living in the book of Revelation and the righteous judgments of our God. Let no one deceive you by any means, by any communication, that we are living in the days of the judgment of God as written in the book of Revelation. 
Let's continue in verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Who, the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The great counterfeit, the Antichrist, that man will endeavor to show himself as the one true God. Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was what that when I was yet with you I told you these things? And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work, only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. That was verse seven. So back to verse six. It is not yet the Antichrist's time. He has not yet been revealed. There are clearly those against Christ. Iniquity is working in this world, but the Antichrist has not yet been revealed. And if someone tells you they know who the Antichrist is, they're just guessing. He has not yet been revealed. And there's something withholding God's adversary, the devil, from manifesting himself through the Antichrist. In verse 7, it says the word lets. Well, that word let would be better translated to hold or to restrain. Who is withholding? Who is restraining? Who is not allowing the Antichrist of the book of Revelation to make himself known and rule the world? Verse 7 says, until he or it be taken out of the way. It is literally God's children. You and I, those that have the spirit of the one true God, that is who holds back the adversary, the devil, from the fulfillment of his lawlessness and destruction through the Antichrist upon the people of the world that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It all ties together. The day of the Lord, the judgments of God, the book of Revelation, the revealing of the Antichrist, cannot cannot commence, cannot begin until after the church of the body of Christ has been gathered together in the clouds with the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment of Christ's return is undetermined, but it is absolute. Let's continue in verse 8. And then, what is then? After the church is removed. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know, some people choose not to believe. Well, God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Some just do not want to believe, and they are the ones that are perishing. Verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, or are well pleased with unrighteousness. And don't we see that today? Are there not many today that have pleasure in unrighteousness? They call good evil, 
they call evil good. They make laws and rules that call darkness light, and they call light darkness. It's all around, and it's going to continue to deteriorate in this world until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The lights of the world. Who are the lights of the world? That's you and me. We need to shine like never before. How do we shine as a light? By living love. How do we live love? Well, it's not a sweet, syrupy love. It's a love that's unafraid to speak the truth of God's word to a dying world. Today, it's time like never before for the called saints of God to be and live what we have been called to by our Lord. He is returning, and at that great and notable moment of his appearing, there will be great rejoicing by the saints of God. And there will also be great wailing and gnashing of teeth by those that have rejected the truth. Let's continue back in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. What a comfort to know that we will not go through the judgment of the righteous God, as detailed in the book of Revelation. Do not be deceived by those that teach otherwise. There are many false prophets in the world today, even as the spirit of Antichrist is at work. What a comfort to know our Lord will absolutely return to gather us together unto him. What a comfort to know that there awaits eternal rewards for each of us that will take an eternity to enjoy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, a tremendous verse here. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that all is referring to those that are in the body of Christ. That's not talking about the unbelievers. What is the purpose being that everyone may receive the things done in his body? according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The word judgment here in this verse, in the Greek text, it comes from the word bema. The word bema in the Greek culture and biblically is a place where rewards are handed out, not punishment. Our faithfulness in living as sons of God will result in rewards and crowns as detailed in other parts of Scripture. Today is a day like no other, the Lord could return at any moment, and then the end times, as spoken of in Revelation, would begin. It is our joy and privilege, until that instant, to love an unloving world as God loves, and to speak his word, making salvation and victory available to all that will to believe. Give yourself time to pour out your heart. 
You've got the time to be still and to know that He is God and He's helping you grow. We have so much to be thankful for as we look ahead to what's in store. The day is coming when we shall be changed. Until then, in His care we remain while we wait. We set our hearts on Christ's return. While we wait, we live in peace and grace. Even while our hearts yearn to be gathered together, to be face to face with joy. are new as you walk with God he works within you blessed with every blessing in the heavenlies beloved of the father he cares tenderly we now have the token of all he has done and greater days are still to come while we wait we set our hearts on Christ's return Even while our hearts yearn to be gathered together, to be face to face, with joy we walk with our God while we wait. Look at what God has made you to be, His beloved in Christ, completely complete. God's word is faithful day in and day out. You can stand on the truth without fear or doubt. Let your thoughts dwell on things above. Be at peace and walk in God's love. You're seated in the heavenlies. You've been redeemed. You've been made free. While we wait, we set our Our guest today has studied the New Testament in the language that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago. It's Aramaic. She's the author of several books, including the Aramaic Peshitta New Testament translation. She has a wonderful heart of love for God and his people. She's always ready to serve God's word on a golden platter. 
I'd like to welcome to the show Jan Majera. Welcome, Jan. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here, too, with you. Thank you. It's awesome to have you in studio today. Maybe we could start out with, can you just tell us a little bit about your testimony and how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I don't have one of those real dramatic testimonies, but I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church. My grandparents were missionaries in Arabia for 25 years, and my parents and family, everyone that I ever knew was a Christian. So I went to church pretty much every week for my whole life. But when I got to college, then I started questioning a lot of the things that I had been taught and went through a period of time of just not knowing if I really believed in God or not at that point. And there was uh, some people who had really taken uh, time to talk to me about, especially about Jesus Christ and who he was. And that's how I really count the time that I was born again of his spirit where I really knew that I was born again. It's one thing to believe in God and know he exists, and then it's another to have a relationship with him. So I count that time in college when I first started getting excited about learning the Bible and knowing about Jesus Christ as the time when I got really going, which was like 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago. So it's pretty wonderful to have that assurance that... You have a relationship with God and mm-hmm. with the Lord, and nobody can take that away. Right. That's awesome. That's really great. And in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God, you've spent quite a few years studying Aramaic, which is the original language that Jesus spoke. What inspired you to study that language and to learn it to the extent that you have? Well, I took a class, a short class in uh, Bible school with a lady who had studied with Dr. George Lamza. And Lamza was the pioneer in translating the entire Bible from Aramaic, from the Peshitta, to English. And that was in the 1950s that he did that. And this, the lady that I took a class from, her name was Bernita Jess, and she was a student of one of Lamza's classes. Mm. And so I got to get a glimpse of what he had shown her. She had some materials that she had gotten from him. And really at that time, there were no books to be able to study. There were only two different lexicons that you had to buy in an old, dusty, used bookstore. (laughs) (laughs) And she had some photocopies of some lessons that Dr. Lamza had taught her. And so my first class, we started translating the record of Joseph and how he had interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Mm-hmm. And it was so exciting and so much fun. I, I, I came running up to her even after like the second class and just said, how can I keep on studying this? You know, you said there's no books. What can we do? And she goes, well, I'll teach you if you want to know. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I got started. I got to study with her for about three months. Mm-hmm. And I've never lost the enthusiasm of studying it since then. Do you find that Aramaic, is it like Hebrew in one sense? Or is it more like Greek? Or is it like a total separate language? No, it is uh, like Hebrew. Mm-hmm. They're, they call them cognate languages. They're, they have a common parent. Hebrew and Aramaic have a common parent. So okay. They're, I call them sister languages, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of roots in Aramaic which are have similar roots in Hebrew, 
and that's they are very similar, but they're not similar to Greek. Okay. What's maybe been the most rewarding aspect of knowing the Aramaic language for you? I think what has really helped me and interested me the most is that it's a, it's a very picturesque language, and Hebrew's like this too, where the nouns are based on a verb that has an action behind it. And so when you know what the action is, then you can understand what the noun is. Like, for example, the word meekness is something that is difficult. It's a difficult concept to explain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're humble. And we try to come up with English synonyms to describe it. But what was so interesting to me was that if I could learn what the action was behind the verb where you got the word meekness, then I would know what meekness was. And the action verb for meekness means to lie down under or lie down flat. In, okay. in the Eastern way of talking, they would say that the Nile River was meek to the land hmm. because it lies under the land. And so then so many verses make sense. Like First Peter, where it's talking about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. You mm-hmm. know, he will lift you up. So that's what excited me was learning things that I thought were really hard to understand and finding out that their meanings were very simple and could be explained really easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome because the word picture, not even a child need air there. Right. <laughs> that's very yeah. cool. Jan, can you give us another example of maybe how the Aramaic differs from the Greek and how knowing the Aramaic is going to enhance our understanding of the scriptures? There are a lot of figures of speech and idioms in the Aramaic language, and when we understand what those are, they also contribute to understanding what a verse would be saying. And it is not really contradicting the Greek, but I think many times it further explains something that is in Greek that may be a little bit obscure. And an example would be from Hebrews 13, where last half of verse 5, For the Lord has said, I will not leave you, and I will not let go of you. That's what the Aramaic says. Mm. The Greek says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And there's a triple negative in Greek. Well, I will not leave you, no, not ever leave you. You know, there's a triple negative there. Mm -hmm. So that's where the emphasis is in the Greek, is that no, I will not ever. (laughs) Um, But the emphasis in the Aramaic is an idiom in the phrase, I will not let go of you. The phrase, let go of you, means my hands will not relax hold of you. They will not Mm -hmm. hang down and do nothing. So God never lets go of our hands and he will always work on our behalf. That's where the emphasis is in the Aramaic. Mm. So you can put them together and say, no, he's not ever gonna leave me. But the but the real point is that he's not gonna leave you, but he's also not gonna stop doing things for you. He's our father and he will always continue to hold onto our hand and, and work on our behalf. So I love putting the Greek and Aramaic together to really get the full understanding of a verse. That's really cool because with that Aramaic and that example, it just makes it more living and real of what God's doing. There's one other verse that I had thought of that would be, uh, it was really wonderful. It's in the, te- in the temptations where 
the accuser comes and, and tells Jesus, said, you know, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Mm-hmm. And he says, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God is what the Greek says. It's just the general word for word. But in this speci- specific verse, the word word is answer. So he is saying, man should not live by bread alone, but by every answer of God. So it becomes so much more specific, where it's not just the general word. What God gave Jesus at this point was a very specific verse from Deuteronomy that answered his need in that situation, and that's why he said that verse. It was an answer to him at that exact moment of his temptation of what he needed to know. God is just such a personal God, very specific, and he's like that with us today too. Can you give us a little information about what biblical research projects you're currently working on? Well, I'm continue, I continue to work on the database, the Aramaic database. It's produced not only the translation, but also a concordance, an interlinear, a lexicon, and then various other materials like the computer programs that go with those. But right now I'm working on a, a translation of the Psalms from mm-hmm. the Peshitta Old Testament. And up until about a year ago, I didn't realize that the Peshitta Old Testament was that much different than the Hebrew. I thought they were very similar. And so I, I never thought I would ever translate the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Lanza did a pretty good job, and, you know, someday somebody else can take on, you know, all those books <laughs> of the Old Testament. But I started just doing a few verses in the Psalms and realized that they were really quite a bit different than the Hebrew. And you know how you're going along and you read through the Psalms and you see all your favorite verses and they're so great and you've got a lot of them memorized even maybe and <laughs> they just touch your heart. And then it comes to another section where you're reading along and you go, you know, I have no idea what this is talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm going against my enemies and I don't know what to do with the enemies and (laughs) things like that, right? So what I found out was by translating the Psalms in order, a lot of those passages would become clear. So it it made me curious as to why it was so much different than the Hebrew text that we have, the Masoretic text. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the Peshitta Old Testament was translated from an earlier version of Hebrew than we have now. And that is the reason why there's significant differences at times in the text. And so I decided that it would be a worthy endeavor to to at least translate the Psalms, maybe Proverbs. We'll see. Oh, that's awesome. I'll read it when it's done. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also working on the Aramaic and Hebrew word pictures, where each letter is representative of a picture in in the way that the original alphabet was put together and when we know what each letter what picture each letter represents then even beyond the action word that's behind every word there's a picture behind every word as well and you can put those pictures together and they also provide additional understanding to what the word really means like an example is the word to shepherd Mm -hmm. and the letter resh is an r and that means the man and then there's an in which is a picture of an eye 
and it means the man watches. So a shepherd is the man who watches. Mm. It, there's a lot of things like that, and I started going through all the really difficult concepts in Christianity, like righteousness and sanctification, and <laughs> just things that are really hard to explain, and learning what the word pictures were. And I'm calling that project the ABCs of Christianity. Oh, that'll be a good one. So Excellent. it'll be a while before you mm -hmm. get through all of those. But those are the two basic projects I'm working on right now. Okay. Now, aren't uh, a couple of your books, like the, the New Testament translation, is that not available, I believe, with uh, some of the electronic Bible study software? Yes. The entire database is available through BibleWorks. Okay. And then it's also going to be available through um, the software called The Great Treasures, or Bible.org is mm -hmm. the name of it. Jan, in closing, what's on your heart today that maybe you'd like to share with the listeners to encourage them in the things of God and, and His love and His Word? Well, I always love the first chapter of Ephesians. And in verse 4 it talks about how God chose us beforehand before the foundation of the world to be his holy ones and without blemish before him and then in verse 5 it says he adopted us and in the Greek that's a very specific word for adopted and but in Aramaic it just means to be placed as sons and I thought, okay, what's the difference between just being a son? Okay, if you're a son, that's really important. But in the Greek and Roman culture, which Ephesians is written to, right, they had a system of adoption. And what I learned was that adoption was more valid in the Roman and Greek culture than being a natural-born son. For them, to be adopted, you, you could never lose your sonship, for one thing. And you got a new name that was your adopted father's name and all the privileges and rights that went with that name. And I thought, oh, that's really great because we have, we received a new name that we can call God our father and we can go to him. We expect that he's going to take care of us. So the privileges of being a son and having that sonship are great. There's, there's, there's so many of them, right? But then I also learned that one of the things that adoption did was the father who was adopting the son would take all the debts that the son had and cancel them. He would either pay for them and have them be paid or they would be canceled. And that's how it's described in Colossians where the blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against us where the debts were written on a piece of paper and then folded up and nailed to the gate wall saying this man is free from debt so we are completely free from any of the debt and sin that compelled us before so that's the reason we can walk really with our head held high and our shoulders back and say, look out, here comes the son of God. Here comes somebody who knows their position and how wonderful it is to be able to call God our father and to have our brother as the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just an incredible privilege. We have so much to praise God for and it goes on in chapter one and, and says, 
that we are to the praise of his glory because he did all that. He's the one who adopted us. It's a lot to be thankful for. We have a wonderful father, don't we? Absolutely. Yes. Well, Jan, if any of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that? Through my website. It's lightofword.org, and the ministry is called Light of the Word Ministry. Mm-hmm. So there's a place on there that you can contact me. And Okay, lightofword.org. I'll put a link to that on our website. Okay. And they can order your books through the website yes. as well? Okay. And teachings, CDs, or anything like yes. that? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jan, for being here today. really appreciate your heart and for sharing the word. Thank you. God bless you. Bless you, too. Thanks. go back to that day It was pouring rain The clouds let up and the sun had shine She became my wife It was amazing Doctor said that we may never Now we hold those babies tight They brought so much joy to our lives They'll make you realize That you're amazing Trouble sound, it's your right. 
shout a victory cry Oh, 
some wonderful music there. Before Jan Majera's interview, we heard Lisa Tracy with While We Wait. After the interview, that was Aaron Schaefer with Amazing God. And we just finished up here with John Kano, Eternity. I wanted to close with a verse here in, back in Second Thessalonians. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith or the right way of believing. I guess the request I'd like to ask is, would you pray for me? I I know you do, some of you do, and I request that the rest of you would, (laughs) not just for me, but for God's people throughout the United States and throughout the world, that we could be bold and confident in who we are as God's children, that in this day and time we could be bold and loving to speak God's word no matter what the persecution, no matter what the situation we might find ourselves in, and that the word of the Lord may have free course, that it may run freely where God intends it to move and where he intends it to work, that we could plant and water the seed of his word, that we might see a great increase that God would bring to pass. So that's my request today. Uh, If you would think of the program, if you would think of me, my life today, if you would just pray that I could have great boldness to continue to speak God's word uh, wherever I am. And don't just pray that prayer for me, but that you would also pray it for others, for yourself, for other believers that you know, for other saints of God. And when I refer to a saint of God, a saint of God is anyone that is born again of God's Spirit. God refers to those individuals as saints. It's not someone that is specially called within a certain denomination or a religion, and it's not until several hundred years after their death that they're determined to be a saint. God refers to all of his people as saints. And really, a saint in God's perspective is somebody that is sanctified or set apart set apart for God's purposes as his children. So finally, brethren, chapter 3, verse 1 again, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course or run freely and be glorified even as it is with you. Because we live in the most awesome day and time in the history of this world, 
to have the privilege to be children of God, to have the Spirit of God, to have Christ within us, the hope of glory, to look forward to the hope of his return. We don't look forward to to dying someday. No, we look forward to seeing the Lord face to face when we meet him in the air when he returns at that fullness of times which only will be determined by God. No man, no woman knows when it is. And we just have that awesome privilege to be a part of God's family. So we saw some tremendous truth today in God's word about the end times, about the book of Revelation, about the day of the Lord, about the man of perdition. When will he be revealed? So I encourage you today to rejoice in all that God has done for you and to look to him and trust him and to boldly hold forth his word without fear knowing that he's in you, working within you to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'd like to thank you for joining us today on the Solution Radio Show. A special thanks to Jan Majera for sharing her heart and life in our interview segment. All of the Solution Radio Shows are archived at thesolutionradioshow.com. There you may re-listen at your convenience. There's also links to the websites of our guests, musicians, and sponsors. Also, on the website, there is a page for upcoming events. If you'd like your event listed, please send the information to info at thesolutionradioshow.com. A reminder that the praise line is open. It's open 24 hours a day, where you may call in and give a testimony of God's deliverance, God's working in your heart and life. The number is 844-705-3410. We will play some of those testimonies in upcoming shows. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show. Uh, We do have listeners all throughout the United States and really all around the world, and and we can know that uh, through the replay on the website and through some of the stats that we can see there. We know we've got people listening in Switzerland and Germany, South Africa, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, Russia, uh, all over the place. So that's really awesome. I do have two pamphlets available, You Are Righteous Now and The Solution. If you send me your mailing address, I'll send you one free of charge. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. Send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. The Solution Radio Show is listener-supported, both by your prayers and your financial giving. Thank you for your support. It's greatly appreciated. There is a donation link available at our website. Thank you to our sponsors, the Carter Group with offices in Chicago, Dallas, and Minneapolis, Integrity Mortgage and Financial in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and Morningstar Computer Training and Consulting here in the Chicago area. Thank you to our engineer and production, Bill Albecker. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are God's very best. You're tuned to The Big One. AM 1280 WBIG 